you'll find on page 1211 of the Bibles in front of you. Page 1211, Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison, as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ill-treated, as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us, then, go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, John. Good evening, everybody. Great to see you all. Shall we begin with a prayer? Let's pray. 
grace sufficient, grace for me, grace for all who will believe. We will stand on every promise of your word. We thank you so much, dear Father, for your word and thank you for the way it instructs us. And we thank you for your grace that even when we struggle to live up to your high standards, you still love us and you still want us in your family. So please help us as we look at this very practical chapter and help us to apply it to our own lives. And we ask it for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So we are in, indeed, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, the last chapter of this great book. I hope you've enjoyed this series. We have taken it at, at quite a lick. I think the, the biggest chunk was chapters 7 to 10 in one sermon. Um, we could easily have a whole sermon series actually just on chapter 13. Um, I've got, as you saw, the, um, the heading said there are nine marks of the healthy Christian. I promise you this is a sermon with nine points. So if you want to leave now, I won't take offense. Uh, but we're going to go at quite a speed. But one could take it at a much more gentle pace and have a whole sermon on each of the different marks. But um, this is a very practical chapter. After quite a, quite a densely argued theological section, chapters 1 to 12, um, and this chapter actually has many imperatives uh, and we know that from the last five weeks of looking at Hebrews, that this is actually a book that's written for Christians who are in danger of giving up. Times are very hard for them. They've faced fierce p persecution. Some of them have been imprisoned for their faith. Some of them have had their possessions confiscated. Now, many, we read, accepted their fate joyfully, counting it an honor to be suffering for the name of Christ. But many actually, as to use Hebrews' words, shrunk back. They'd given up. So the, the main aim, really, of the letter is to urge Christians who are struggling to keep going. And in that sense, I think it's a, a real message for, for our times. I guess it's probably a message for all times. I shouldn't think there's ever been a time in church history where it's been a breeze to be a Christian. But all the way through, we have a bit of uh, teaching, and then we have a little encouragement. So we get to chapter 3, verse 6, hold on to the hope of which we boast. Chapter 4, verse 11, make every effort to enter into that rest. Chapter 6, verse 1, let us go on to maturity. Chapter 10, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another all the more. Let us stir one another up to love and good works. Chapter 10, verse 35, don't throw away your confidence. Chapter 12, verse 1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We're in a race. And uh, if you remember from last week, chapter 11 is that sort of grandstand gallery of saints, Old Testament saints. It's almost as if they're kind of cheering us on as we run the race, looking to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So Hebrews chapter one, uh, chapters 1 to 12 is focused on Jesus, who is far more wonderful than any person who's ever lived, and his 
Teaching is far greater than any philosophy that's ever gone before or since. It's all about Jesus being supreme. And here in chapter 13 this evening, we're looking at the consequences for the individual Christian of Jesus being the supreme one. And not just the individual Christian, the church, us, together. All these encouragements and imperatives are in the plural. So we run the race looking to Jesus together. What should our church life look like? Well, here are our nine marks, and we're going to go at speed. So if you're taking notes, um, you'll need to, to keep, keep up with me. Someone said they, they followed me this morning, they only got six. So <laughs> see, if you get nine, you're doing well. First mark of a healthy Christian community, we will love one another. First one. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. There's that old bit of uh, doggerel that goes, to dwell above with saints I love, that will be joy and glory. To dwell below with saints I know, well, that's quite another story. And I think um, we can understand that. We love each other in principle, but sometimes in practice it's harder. But we are called to love each other as brothers and sisters. In fact, we're ordered to do so. It is interesting that in John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. I think it's the only time where we actually hear of Jesus saying, I command you. Correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, but he certainly says, this is a command, love one another. It's almost as if to say, uh, you're not going to find this one easy, so I'm laying the law down here. As I have loved you, he said so you must love one another. In other words, as he laid down his life for us, in the same way we must love one another. Because, of course, in the Old Testament, we read, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. So the new command is not to love one another, but as I have loved you in that same sacrificial way. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, Jesus is saying that the distinctive hallmark for the Christian is love. And here in chapter 13, verse 1, our first imperative says, keep on loving one another. That's not to say they haven't loved each other in the past. Just keep going. More and more. And we won't always feel like it, which is why he's commanded it. But we read in chapter 2, verse 11, that Jesus was not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So neither should we be ashamed of calling each other brothers and sisters. I think I've told you um, once before, I I think it was here, uh, a sermon I heard where the preacher said that We kind of totally depend on each other. And he said, could you please turn to the person sitting next to you and say, I couldn't live without you. And just remember the embarrassment of turning to this lovely blonde girl and saying, I couldn't live without you. But you understand what he's saying. We are to love each other. We're to put ourselves out for each other. Love is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. 
and a loving Christian community is a wonderful foretaste of heaven. Second hallmark of a healthy Christian community is that it cares for those in need. And this is verses 2 and 3. The community cares for those in need. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. So what does Christian love look like in action? Well, it means really seeking out the hurting and those in need. It's one thing to say a a friendly hello on the church door. It's it's something to say um, a cheery uh, hi as you walk past someone in the street. But these verses are calling for something much more costly. Opening up our homes to strangers. Just as Abraham and Sarah did in Genesis chapter 18. And they discovered later on that the stranger was in fact an angel. So here's the, here's the kind of challenge for us and the bit that I find a bit uncomfortable as I try and apply this to my life. Who are the people we invite around to our place? Who do we say, come on, let's go off to the pub together, off to church? Is it just my friends? The people I like? People who are like me? What about the hurting and the lonely? Or the person who isn't really in a position to offer us anything back in return? I'm so glad we have these hospitality weekends. I do hope some of us sign up for it. They're great, great occasions. But really, every weekend should be a hospitality weekend. I'm not saying we must all open our houses all the time, but it should be something that we spontaneously do, looking out for others, especially those hurting and in need. Well, strangers, they may come to us, but prisoners, verse 3, they need to be sought out. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. In other words, put yourself in their shoes. And the context here, I think the writer to the Hebrews is thinking particularly of Christians who've been imprisoned for their faith. And I certainly have been challenged as I've been preparing this as to how little concern I, I show in practice for prisoners of all sorts, but perhaps especially for persecuted Christians our brothers and sisters who've taken a courageous stand for Christ. There are some amazing stories. You know, I read about them in things like uh, the Open Doors newsletter or CSW or IJM. They're great organizations. They give us information and we pray for them. That's great. But maybe we're being called to do something more than just be informed and pray. Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. And the disciples said, oh, really? When was that? And Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. We serve Jesus by caring for those in need. The third hallmark of a healthy Christian community is that it will honor marriage and family life. 
Verse 4. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer, adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, whenever we take a wedding here, uh, and indeed in any Church of England church, the, the liturgy begins with these words. Marriage is a gift of God in creation, a holy mystery in which man and woman become one flesh. It's pretty obvious foundational stuff. Marriage, it's saying, is God's idea. Right back in Genesis chapter 2, God instituted marriage. Reinforced by Jesus in Mark chapter 9 and repeated again and again throughout the New Testament. That God invented marriage, that sex is God's good gift for men and women, and that it is to be enjoyed within certain parameters to protect us and to protect others, to protect individuals and families. The principle is this, one man for one woman, exclusively for life. That's the place for sex. And the Bible's very clear that a sexual relationship in any other context outside the one man for one woman, exclusively for life, is wrong. You have to do some pretty unbelievable kind of exegetical gymnastics to get round that one. And certainly Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is very clear. Premarital sex, even if we love each other and are committed to each other, is wrong. Extramarital sex, the fling, the affair, is wrong. Sex within marriage is created by God and is beautiful and right. Sex outside marriage is destructive and wrong. Because we read in verse 4 that God will judge not just the adulterer, but all the sexually immoral. So let's work at our marriages, those who are married. Let's encourage each other, those of us who are single. Let's all help each other in our struggles. Let's be open and honest with each other. I, th I shouldn't think there's a single person in this church who doesn't struggle in some way in the whole area of sex and relationships. And we can only be open and honest with each other if we love each other and we really get to know each other. And let's encourage each other to be pure, whatever our circumstances. Now, I realize that this is challenging teaching. Somebody said to, said to me this morning, it's out of date. I'm sure there'd be some politicians who'd tell me to get with the message. Maybe it is unpopular for some, but this is frankly the, the mainstream teaching of the Bible and has been the mainstream teaching of the Christian church for the last 2,000 years. And ultimately, if we disagree with this kind of teaching, it says something about our attitude to the authority of the Bible. The fourth hallmark of a healthy Christian community is contentment, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. 
It's interesting that we move here from sexual immorality to financial discontent because both of them doubt the goodness of God and his generous provision for all our needs. I should think covetousness again lurks in all of us in, in one way or another. It doesn't matter where we live or how much we earn. There's usually the desire for more. Uh, something called the Belgravia magazine that drops through my letterbox on a regular basis and um, frankly I find it a slightly frustrating read because there's pretty much nothing in there that I can enjoy (laughs) Um, on the clergyman's stipend um, obviously houses advertised for gazillions of pounds Um, there's uh, there's a pedicure here for £75, I might be able to organise that. Colon hydrotherapy, the mind boggles. Sorry. Um, tickets to a garden party that cost £100. St Michael's Chester Square's garden party is free. Do come. Uh, and there's one here that really excites me called the keratin hair treatment, which, and I quote, will make hair look smoother which is ideal for poolside bathing beauties who don't have much time for a daily blow-dry. Only £200. Well, I'm far too busy for that kind of thing, so this may be... Anyway. Yeah, I know, very cheap. Spit and polish is what I have. But anyway, the, the, um, it, it may not be this for you. In, through my life, different things have got me on the covetousness spectrum could actually almost work your way through the the Sunday newspapers. It used to be sport, coveting other people's abilities, set my heart on being a professional tennis player, never quite worked out. Then uh, the travel section, set my heart on these unbelievable holidays. Then there's the property section, some hope. Uh, Then there's the sort of home living section, Uh, the glorious place in the country. It's not going to happen. And those kind of sections, they get get me on the covetousness spectrum at different stages in my life. But covetousness springs from doubt. That question, does God really care? Is my life really in God's hands? And will I cope on a very practical level? Will I cope financially? Covetousness springs from doubt. Contentment springs from faith. Faith in the God who, as we see in verse 5, promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. Faith in the Lord, verse 6, who is my helper. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Dear brothers and sisters, it's a very obvious statement, but let's just remind ourselves that we have a loving Heavenly Father. He made us. He cares for us. He knows us. He loves us. He has a plan for our lives. And he promises to meet all our needs. So let's trust him. And let's be content. He'll look after us. 
The fifth hallmark of a healthy Christian community is one that will respect those who teach the word and shepherd their souls. Respecting those who teach the word and shepherd their souls. This is verse 7, 17 and 24, where we're told about our leaders to remember them, verse 7, especially what they teach us, to imitate them, again in verse 7, because their lives should be an example to us, to obey them, verse 17, because they have authority and, as we read, an authority for which they are accountable to God, and where to greet them, verse 24, which suggests kind of warmth and love towards them. Now, I have to say I feel rather uncomfortable preaching on this particular point um, and I promise you it's not a kind of call for blind allegiance to some despot who's laying down the law but I think on reflection a happy church is a church that supports its leaders and I've certainly been in churches in the past where you know, people run the leaders down the whole time or there are factions or there's infighting or there's disagreement and frustration. And this isn't the only place. There are several places in the New Testament where we're told to support our leaders and to encourage them. And I think that's because leadership is often quite difficult and lonely. And leaders need support. Just on the sort of the other side, as it were, notice what the leaders are called to do Verse 7, they are called to preach the word of God. Verse 7, the first and most important priority. And very often, leaders can get distracted from that really important priority of preaching the word of God and building up the church. And they can get distracted by things like leaking gutters and you know, undertakers and you know, all important things in the running of a church. But preaching the word is number one priority. And I know for myself, I need encouraging in that. Come on, Tim, get back to your study. Get in, the, get in the books. And in terms of encouragement, uh, the one phrase I don't really welcome at the end of the, the service is, nice sermon vicar. I don't actually think anyone says that to me. <laughs> but um, it's sort of, I, I'm very happy for you know encouragement. I'm also happy for people to kind of come back at me saying well I'm not quite didn't quite get that or I'm not sure I quite agree with you on that or what did you mean by that much prefer that kind of conversation so we'll we'll blank out nice sermon vicar okay so we're meant to preach the word of God leaders are called to set an example verse 7 consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith and verse 17 Leaders are meant to shepherd the flock. The leaders watch over the flock. And we're to be like Jesus who laid down his life for the sheep. It's a high calling, which I think is why the writer here encourages them to remember, obey, and greet the leaders. Number six, a healthy Christian community will not move away from Christ-centered doctrine. And this is verses 8 to 14. 
Now, this was one of the chief concerns of the writer of this book, worried that young Christians, uh, particularly those from a Hebrew background, would revert back to Judaism. And worried, too, that new, exciting, but false teaching would distract them from the truth. Verse 9 says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Instead, they should focus, verse 8, on Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Perhaps the most famous verse in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We're going to sing it later on. He is unchanging. And the great truths he preached to his disciples when he was on earth are the same truths for us today and will be forever. I'd love just to read to you a a purple paragraph in F.F. Bruce's commentary where he talks about Jesus in the past, present, and future, yesterday, today, and forever. He says this, Yesterday, Jesus offered up prayers with strong crying and tears to him who is able to save him from death. That's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Today, Jesus represents his people in the presence of God, a high priest who is able to sympathize with them in their weakness, because he was in every point tempted as we are, yet without sin. Chapter 4, verse 15. And then forever, he lives, this same Jesus, to make intercession for us. Chapter 7, verse 25. And F.F. Bruce continues, His help, his grace, his power, his guidance are permanently at his people's disposal. Why then should they lose heart? He never needs to be replaced and nothing can ever be added to his work. Isn't that great? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if we move away from Jesus, then we'll cease to see him as the one who was the sufficient sacrifice for sin. That's what he's really saying in verses 10 to 12. If we move away from Jesus, we'll shrink from the suffering that will come with identifying with the suffering Savior in verse 13. And if we move away from Jesus, then we're in danger of losing an eternal perspective, verse 14. So, a quick spiritual health check. Let's ask ourselves these three questions based on these verses. First, am I trusting in Jesus' death alone for my salvation? Second, am I willing to bear the disgrace of the name of Jesus? Third, are my eyes focused on heaven, the enduring city? Don't move away from Christ-centered teaching. Number seven, a healthy Christian community will be characterized by sacrifices of both praise and good works, verses 15 and 16. Now, worship is a very wide-ranging word, and usually we use it for 
Sunday worship, our gathering, our collective gathering, and often we use it for singing God's praises. And indeed, that's what it is in verse, uh, um, verse 15. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And um, the Psalms are full of it. Psalm 100, worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with songs of joy. So when we come into church on Sunday, uh, we're encouraged. Please stand as we worship. But there's another aspect of worship, which is service. And that's in verse 16. Do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Paul tells the Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual worship. So really, as well as standing at the beginning of the service to worship God, we should say at the end, okay, off you go. Go and worship Monday through Saturday, wherever it is you go, wherever your front line is. That's where we worship God as well. Because Christian worship involves both our lips and our lives. The eighth hallmark of the healthy Christian community as, is that it, it, pr it prays for one another, uh, in particular for its leaders, verse 18. If we want to see God at work in our church, then we must pray. I really covet your prayers as, and I'm sure I speak for Charles and John and anyone else who preaches, in our preparation. Uh, we pray regularly for those who teach the children on a Sunday morning, for those who lead home groups, for those who teach the rooted kids. Because teaching is so important, we need to pray for one another, that it's not just kind of the thoughts of the speaker or even kind of wonderful rhetoric. But it's actually the word of God. And we need to pray for our leaders as they prepare and for hearers as they listen. Paul regularly asked his, the recipients of his letters to pray for him. As Paul, you know, the great apostle, he often prayed because he felt weak. He felt, he prayed, please pray for me to have courage. And I would just say, please pray for us as we pray for you. We need to be a praying church. And it's not empty words when we say, do join us for the monthly prayer meeting. Do please use the June prayer diary. Do join us for the pre-service prayer at 530 in it, we're, what we're saying is we believe that God works through prayer. We don't quite know how. He's so great, he doesn't really need our prayers, but somehow God uses our prayers, and it's wonderful. So a healthy Christian community prays for one another and for its leaders. The ninth and final hallmark of the healthy Christian community is that it will look to Jesus as the great shepherd to help them live the Christian life. This is verse 20 and 21. 
And the letter to the Hebrews ends with this terrific prayer with, and I think perhaps with all these exhortations and imperatives in chapter 13, we could end up feeling just a little bit browbeaten and inadequate and weak. And we come out of church and think, oh dear, nine points and there's quite a lot for me to do here. Um, This prayer, verses 20 and 21, reminds us that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who equips us and works in us. In other words, the God who raised Jesus from the dead can change you and me. I sometimes think that I'm a, you know, I've been going at, at a, as a Christian for, for so long and I feel so frustrated at my lack of progress sometimes. And I think, oh God, you, you must sort of give up on me sometime. Uh, not a bit of it. <laughs> The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives as we open ourselves up to him. And I think perhaps the best way to end this talk is just to pray that prayer together, verses 20 and 21, and make it our prayer for ourselves as individuals, but also let's pray it collectively for one another as God's people. So let's pray and join together verse 20 may the god of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be glory for ever and ever amen